Welcome to Health System CIO's interview with Dr. Dennis Lieber, Interim Chief Information Security Officer with Yukon Health. I'm Anthony Guerra, Founder and Editor-in-Chief. We'll get to our interview in a moment, but first this brief word from our sponsor. Your organization doesn't compromise on patient care, so why compromise in the endpoints you deploy? iGel is the ultimate operating system for healthcare organizations using VDI, DAS, or SAS. And we're offering a free laptop on which to experience iGel's no compromise OS. Just visit iGel.com slash why compromise. Dennis, thanks for joining me. Oh, happy to be here. Thanks for having me. All right, great. Thank you. Uh, Dennis, you want to tell me a little bit about Yukon Health and your role over there? Sure. I am serving as the interim CISO at Yukon Health. Yukon um, Health is right at about 300-bed hospital, uh, serving Connecticut and the residents there in, in the Connecticut, Hartford, Farmington area. Um, we have two schools, uh, College of Medicine, College of Dentistry, so it's a learning hospital. And we also have, you know, like most research, uh, most hospitals have a nice research branch, have a population demographics of researchers as well. Excellent. Very good. All right. Um, I always like to ask uh, folks in the CISO role how they came to be where they are. So how did you specifically come to wind up in healthcare information technology? So uh, it was a career change for me. Um, I, I was got out of high school, went in the military, in the Marines. And when I got out of the Marine Corps, came back home looking for a job, actually joined the police department. Um, never really had a desire to be a police officer. It just sounded like a good job and it paid well. And I did it for a long time. But I also got, uh, my, my view was I, I noticed a lot of police officers when they retired, they were retiring and coming back to work as police officers. Uh, and I'm originally from Louisville, Kentucky. And so you have two big Ford plants in, in Louisville. And I was, you know, watching friends that work at like UPS and, and Ford. And when they retired, they didn't go work for Chevy. Or if you were at UPS, you didn't retire and go work for Ford, FedEx, right? So started really looking inward and said, I've, I've got to be worth more and able to do that. Not that that's a bad profession, but it was like, I, I don't want to retire and have to work. And I don't want to retire and go right back to a job I retired from. Mm-hmm. Um, had always an acronym for computers. So uh, I changed careers. I actually went to work for UPS because they helped pay for school. And uh, the military helped pay for school to the GI Bill. And I started taking courses uh, in and took cybersecurity courses, took, uh, and that was my bachelor's of science, took a master's course in information systems. And I was also in the reserve at the time. So I started talking to the unit and started working in what they call the S6 communications, but it's the, the it's computers. So I started getting certifications and training and firsthand experience through the military, which just sparked it. And from there, I, I just ran with it. Um, when I got off, I got called back to active duty in the military and reserves, uh, continue that education and training. And then when I left the reserves, uh, I, I started my first IT job as a civilian. And I just went from there. Everywhere I went, I built my career. Uh, if they didn't have cybersecurity programs, I built a cybersecurity program, I took on the responsibility of cybersecurity uh, and, and continued to learn, continued to get certifications, just became a sponge for knowledge of IT and cybersecurity. 
So even one of my first leadership jobs was basically an IT director, uh, but I took on that hat of cybersecurity as well, too. Uh, and then finally landed my first CISO role. Uh, that was always the aspiration once I started getting into technology was cybersecurity. It just had an acumen for it. It, it lent to me. It, it, it resonated with me. Um, and now, you know, I'm on my third technically CISO role. Um, and they've, they've been rewarding. I, I try to pick the roles and, and make changes when they enhance my career or enhance my ability to knowledge. And then from there, I try to give back. I try to, I don't post as much on LinkedIn as I used to just simply because of time, but, uh, I adjunct professor at four different universities, um, and try to teach and try to give back, uh, try to mentor the teams that I have. And just found cybersecurity not only as a career in the industry, but it's it's a hobby. And I think that's for a lot of people, folks in cybersecurity. You know, we all focus on different parts like pen testing or um, governance. But it's it's something when I'm not doing it at work, I find myself reading about it or mm-hmm. writing about it or learning more about it. Uh, you know, following some of the, uh, the the pen testers on Twitter and, and, and looking at the insights and learning from them. So it's it's a hobby as well as a as a as a career. So yeah. So a couple of things there. Number one is uh, you are the second, not the first, former police officer I've spoken to who's a CISO in healthcare. So yeah. <laughs> <laughs> someone else has done it. It's kind of interesting. Number two is when you think about it, you wanted to change careers. In a sense, you did. In a sense, you didn't. You're still uh, catching bad guys. Yeah, you know, it, it, it's more rewarding than cybersecurity, too. Um, it, it, it's truly folks that are trying to hurt folks. You know, sometimes in, in, in police officers, it's just people down on their luck, right? Mm-hmm. Or addicts that are, are, are sick. Um, you know, cybersecurity, it's, it's truly crime. And instead, a nation state, you know, I, I, look at, I look at it and can relate it to those two areas. You know, being a police officer, that lends some... Help you know that's been some experience from investigative purposes and, and still wanting to protect my organization and, and, and the folks that work in, in our nation as well. You know, being in the military, there's there's a lot of nation state actors. There's, there's no secret there that other countries are attacking us, and that's one of the areas that lends a lot of you know of the cyber crime we see. So, you know, tying in from being in the military, protecting our nation, being a police officer, protecting protecting community, there there is a lot of relatable experience there. So. You know, it's interesting. It made me think that when we talk about security incidents, um, we always talk about trying to prevent them. We talk about stopping them, dealing with them when they're ongoing, getting the individuals out of your network. Um, but it seems like that's where it ends. We don't talk about getting them. That that gets, I guess, turned over to the FBI and things like that. Is that kind of how it works that in your role, it's just about preventing them and then getting them out and then it gets turned over to law enforcement? Yeah, absolutely. You know, it depends if it's if it's, uh, you know, we, we know cyber crime is a crime, but does everything get turned over to law enforcement? Mm-hmm. I, mean, I don't think so. Right. No. I mean, every time someone's probing your network, technically it's unauthorized access. Right. If it was our house, we'd call it trespassing or burglary. Uh, when it's our computer systems, it, it's still a crime, but not necessarily always pursued like a crime. Uh, I think it'd be overwhelming. I don't I don't think we have a legal infrastructure to address every single crime and, and that's true in society right i mean you know i know as a police officer there's times when you give warnings based on the situation um can you catch every burglar in the neighborhood well you might be catching one and there's three more down the street i mean those are reported 
but what's done about it? You don't have a description, you weren't home, you don't have video. So we know the crime occurred, but it, there's no pursuit of that. So cybersecurity is very not uncommon to that. So, Well, is there a sort of gray area uh, where we say, ah, this one really is not reportable or yeah, this one is reportable where it's not absolutely black and white every time it's a judgment call? No, I think, you know, through regulatory compliances, uh, through like local and state laws, a lot, a lot of that time spelled out, you know, and even mm-hmm. organizational, it's like if you have these regulatory controls, you have requirements, you have state laws, a lot of those spell out here's when and how you report what you report, mm-hmm. right? Especially with the cybersecurity insurance industry, that there, there's still a lot of that, um, you know, like HIPAA. There, there's clear guidance on what you report, what you don't report, right? Our IRS 1075 regulations, there's there's even time frames around when you report, how fast you got to report. So. Right. Well, there's a, there's a breach or a incident going on now. Uh, we've seen it in the news, Common Spirit Health System. Uh, they've had some outages over there. Uh, there have been some articles that said that perhaps information wasn't flowing as quickly as people might have liked about what was going on. Um, do you have a certain feeling on maybe not the legal aspects, but the PR aspects of, of how you would approach an incident? And I know there's uh, PR to be dealt with. There's the insurance company, the cyber insurance company. There's issues there about on the whether or not the incident is ongoing, not letting too much information out. But also you would think you would want to be as transparent as possible. Uh, so, you know, what are your thoughts around that? You know, that's that's a, you have to really coordinate with the organization. So we have organizational leaders. Right. So even in cybersecurity, as important as our job is, as the responsibility and liabilities that lay in our lap, you still have to give the data to the organizational leaders, the CEOs, presidents, boards or whoever. And they really have to determine what their approach is, uh, you know, how often does any business area, so not just cybersecurity, go, hey, this is our recommendation. And the organization goes, well, we have a bigger picture and we're not going to go that route. Mm-hmm. So, it, you know, I, I would say the communication, the PR part lies in the lap of the organizational leaders to go, hey, we don't want to, you know, some folks have different mindsets. I don't, they don't want the embarrassment. Uh, it doesn't sit well with the board. I mean, there's numerous reasons. I'm not, and I'm not, I'm saying that generally. But I think it's been clearly documented and demonstrated in the cybersecurity industry and across society that if you're transparent and honest with these breaches is the best approach. Mm -hmm. But then again, the CISO is not the final decision maker and how that's put out uh, or or how it's communicated. I, I think we should be a coach, mentor, trainer and guidance and make recommendations about the transparency and how well it works. But at the end of the day, those business leaders are going to be the ones who decide that PR and communications method. Very good. All right. Kind of a high level question here. Um, one or two of either the top things you're working on or the top trends you're seeing. Um, you know, I'll go with the trends. Um, because, again, we talk about the transparency, but we don't want to give roadmaps to our organization. Right. Sure. So, if you're working on something, you're t- maybe talking about a weakness. But I think a trend across all organizations in, in healthcare, especially, you know, phishing, uh, 
vishing and smishing, right? Those are funny words, but those are still some of the primary uh, attack vectors we see of all the complexity uh, of all the, the, the wow factors that a lot of pen testers are able to find simply, you know, phishing still real heavy. And then the vishing, the, 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 the phone calls now and the texting attacks, uh, are still extremely prolific, right? Mm -hmm. prolific. Of how much you're seeing. And, and that ties back to the other trend. And we've heard it said different ways over the you know last couple of decades, but you know, humans used to say humans are the weakest link. Um, I, I like to talk now about humans factors engineering. You know, folks have been scamming other folks as long as there's been folks, if that makes sense, right? It's the shell games, the three card antes. Now we just do it with computers and social engineering. There's just so much more technology and data and, and, and psychology and science behind taking advantage of humans related back to cybercrime. So that human factors engineering uh, is, you know, how do we close those gaps? How do we put the safeguards in place um, in, in utilizing human factors engineering? It, a lot of industries have done human factors engineering for more than a couple of decades. You know, the military's done it. The healthcare does it itself in the triage areas and in the hospitals area. We as cybersecurity practitioners need to learn how to implement it into our industry and help close those holes and gaps. So when an attack happens somewhere along the Swiss cheese model of all the holes aligning up, that there's safeguards and controls in place that stops those and helps helps folks not be victims. Yeah, I've spoken to one individual who's really knowledgeable in this area who says it's it's much easier, as you said, to trick somebody than it is to navigate a complex uh, cyber defensive uh, posture, so to speak. Um, you need a, a lot less education to be able to just trick someone. So very interesting point uh, you're making. And you talked about how we combat that. Is it really just employee education? Uh, here's how you're going to be tricked. Here's how they're going to come at you. Here's the different things they they try and do. Or or what are your thoughts beyond that? No, I think I think the uh, employee education is is a paramount part of that. Um, but we've been doing employee and security awareness training for what twenty years now, or more, and we're still falling victim to it. So it's a part of it. Um, I think a good example is. Uh, I forget who it was. It was like Nightline, Chris Hansen or one of those. They mm. had kids where the moms and dads sit down with the kid and said, you know, don't take candy from strangers. Don't help a stranger look for a puppy dog. Don't get into a car. And then they let the kids, you know, go in the playground and they did the hidden camera. Mm. Someone walked up and was like, hey, can you help me find the puppy? And the kid grabs a hand and walks off with him. Right. Oh, like just minutes earlier where yeah. you were told, don't go with the person asking for a puppy. So we have been telling folks for years. Don't do, you know, don't click on links and phishing. Um, I've even created my own kind of method around security awareness training where I call it SPAR training. So it's not just security awareness training, but I call it security preparedness and response training. You know, and it's, so we do the preparedness part is like, here's what phishing looks like. Here's indicators of compromise. And oh, and here's what I want you to do in response if you see these things. But we still have people clicking links. Um, so I think that's just a, a, a a portion of it. I, I don't think it should go away, but I don't think it's effective to the point where we where it's going to change anything. Um, the other part of it is I'll go back to the human factors engineering. So if you're familiar with that, they call it the Swiss cheese model. So if you line up all the Swiss cheese, the holes will line up, right? And it creates the perfect storm where 
in the Air Force uses it, and they, they talk about a, a, an airplane crashing. Well, the human factor engineering is, the, is that engineer that comes in and looks at all those factors and goes, here's how we can put in safeguards across that perfect alignment of the holes in the Swiss cheese that are like quality assurance checks, uh, guardrails, and how do we prevent that from happening? How, how do we put those checks in place considering human psychology that will eliminate or vastly reduce the ability to have that plane crash? And we need to do that. We need to mirror that into our cybersecurity industry programs. Yeah, it's interesting. Uh, I think it was yesterday or the day before. I'm telling you, I almost clicked. I almost clicked on a PDF attachment in a strange email. I forget what it said. I forget their angle, but I really came close to clicking. And then I'm like, "Whoa, whoa what am right. I doing?" Right. Maybe, like you said, it's that perfect alignment. Your mind's somewhere else. It's just got the right keywords to get you convinced enough, and boom, right? Yeah. And you then you can't believe you did it. Yeah. Well, you think about their stories out there with organizations that really made the news about their phishing campaigns where they sent the email out about Christmas bonuses at Christmas time. Yeah. So, yeah, that's a great phishing one. But organizations trying to teach and doing that, yeah, you're gonna, you're, they're going to click it. People are going to click it, right? Uh, you know, the economy is not great right now. People are trying to figure out how to get gas money to get to work. And if you see something like that, you may be more prone to click it right now. So. And I don't think it made those people, those, that organization very popular with those employees, from what I remember. No, it did not. Not a nice way to trick them. Right. And it doesn't make, you know, it, you talk about the transparency and breaches but it doesn't make you very popular in the cybersecurity industry as well, right? There's folks that take, you know, they get angry about that. So, yeah. Mm -hmm. All right, very good. You mentioned um, that you hadn't posted on LinkedIn in a while, but you did have some articles up there that I read. Um, and a lot about boards, a lot about CEO, CISO relationships. Um, you talked about what CEOs, interesting, you talk about what CEOs should be requesting from their CISOs and the direction they should give their CISOs so they can be successful, such as providing your CISO with clear priorities, requesting the data you require to make risk-based decisions, and the level of risks you are willing to accept. I found that a very interesting analysis uh, from that C C CEO position. So my question to you is, do you think there can sometimes be a language gap that needs to be bridged? Um, for example, if the CEO has a language of that they use to explain risk, right? Certain terms, certain scales, whatever it may be, the CEO may not speak that particular language of risk. How do you make sure that you've communicated properly that that the risk posture you posture you are trying to explain or the risk level you are trying to convey is truly what is absorbed by that decision maker? Yeah, you know, there's there's a few parts to that. So I've been in organizations where there's like, we just want good cybersecurity. I was like, but what are your priorities, right? And, and sometimes you won't get an answer. So you, most of us in cybersecurity know what right looks like. So you start down that road of, I'm going to build this foundational cybersecurity program and build it with what right looks like and provide you, at least offer the updates to you that you want to hear or if you don't want to hear. There are other offers there. Um, and, and that's not a great, that's not an optimal situation to be in. So when you have an organization that you have that, that flow of information, you know, what are you trying to accomplish? It should be a primary answer for a CISO. 
there's never going to be perfect security. We're never going to be 100% secure. And depending on the organizations, the priorities may be different. So even if it's frustrating to you that as a CISO going, hey, they're not listening to me or they're not doing it, you need that, that tells me as a CISO, you need to listen to them, right? Sometimes you just have to accept that this is where we want to go. And then you prepare for those other areas that you know are a gap. So when they when they happen, you don't come back and go, see, I told you so. You go, hey, I prepared for it, right? Or hey, now you've you've came, you've caught up to the point of where I have trying to been trying to get you. And now that you're ready to talk about it, here's all the stuff I've prepared for you. Here's what we need to go for. You know, the other part of with, with that is not all organizations do this either. So it adds to the frustration of it. But all organizations usually have a mission statement or some set of strategic goals, one, two, three, five strategic goals, or even more. So you as the CISO, and this is this, and it's not just the CISO, it's every business unit. It should be the CIO, it should be the CFO. You should learn those strategies, their strategic goals. And everything you do, you should be able to answer the question back of it meets this strategic goal or it facilitates that strategic goal. Or if we don't do this, we won't be able to meet that strategic goal or here's the impact of that strategic goal. So the CISO also has to learn a language. You have to be able to take, if you go to your, your security team, you're gonna talk about indicators compromise and digital forensics and how are we doing this and in, 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 you know, the, the, in the woods or the, in the weeds of the technical aspects and the security aspects and the risk aspects. But when you go back to the CEO or the board or the whoever's in charge that you're reporting to, it's got to be strategic goals, alignment to those goals, alignment to the, the direction of the organization. And you got to be able to translate that both ways. So you have to learn a couple languages. So it's not necessarily you want to inform, coach, mentor, train the CEO of the language it is that you use, but you want to use their language more. And, and then be able to relate that back to your team. So even when you're talking to your team about their area of expertise, you should still be able to explain how what they're doing fits the bigger goal. So when you have your incident response team, you should they should also understand that, oh, this also contributes to how our strategic goal is. And I often do that with my team by writing their charter right away, going here's this cybersecurity charter, and then it helps them relate to what we're doing in the business alignment. Yeah, it's an interesting point. Um, you know, it helps probably, as you're saying, for a CISO to have a clear mandate from the CEO, which is maybe more specific than, as you said, just go do cybersecurity. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, um, so for example, I have I've heard it. I was heard it said the other day that a CISO, given one of these two mandates, might approach their job very differently. So, for example, if your mandate is patient safety that's one mandate that will you will operate in a certain way versus data protection yeah. you would operate in it right those would send you on slightly maybe not completely different but slightly different paths is that correct there, yeah there's some truth to that's the focus right so when you when you're talking to, you understand what the priority of the organization is that they say patient safety so when you are talking about your cybersecurity programs you just need to always relate it back to patient safety. Right. So even though we want to, be, it's, it's one of the reasons why I like the, the NIST cybersecurity framework. People talk, you know, an older way to think of was, what are your crown jewels and how do you protect those crown jewels? Well, that's 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 a, a way we have to stop thinking. 
Uh, you think of the casino in Vegas where they intact the entire casino through the thermometer in the fish tank, right? I guarantee you, and I would bet money on it, I may be wrong, but I'd, I'd go out on a limb and say that thermometer in the fish tank was not a crown jewel. It was never identified as a crown jewel and maybe never even had like a risk assessment on it. It was bought, plugged in, stuck in the fish tank and forgotten about. But yet that's how they hacked. The target hack a long time ago was hacked through the HVAC system. The HVAC system was probably not identified as a crown jewel. So we have to build our cybersecurity programs where it's a holistic, I'm protecting everything equally, right? And then as the priorities of the organization comes out and says, well, we want patient safety. Well, then how do I tie back protecting the thermometer in the fish tank back to patient safety? And how do I justify? So you use that to your advantage. So you use patient safety, you know what's important to them and you relate everything back to patient safety. So yes, some organizations and most organizations are going to go down slightly different paths because of the focus area, but you just got to learn how to be creative and use where their focus related back to how you build that holistic program. Very good. Uh, one of the, the biggest areas that CISOs have to focus is uh, business continuity planning, resiliency, keep getting the organization back up and running. Um, so that means to me, when we think that through, that means that CISOs need to have more interaction with clinical leaders to understand uh, what their important applications are, the most important applications, have conversations around what would you do if we had to take this down, if there was a ransomware attack or whatever, and we had to take this down, I had to give you some kind of notice that we're shutting this application off. You have to prepare for going to paper. It seems to me there could, there's a bit of a gap in a health system with who manages that, who makes sure the clinicians understand how to go to paper-based procedures and come back, obviously heavily coordinated with IT and the CISO who would be saying, hey, we're going to shut you off in two hours or we're going to shut you off in five minutes. But somebody has to make sure that those clinicians have worked out those procedures, which would happen after that to go to paper and back. What are your thoughts around that? And is anyone managing that in the health system? You know, I, I think everyone in the health system, all health systems generally in general are aware of the, the potential to be shut down in, in that need. Uh, as far as the management, I, I, I would say it's like the uh, proverb of it takes a tribe to raise a child, right? It takes the entire community. Uh, I think that's a organizational leadership driven initiative with the responsibilities shared across several leaders, the CIO, the CISO, you know, you're so like at, at UConn, we call it the ARC, academic research and clinical, right? And then each one of those areas have leaders. Um, and, and external partners on that, you know, there's emergency preparedness organizations and, uh, you know, Connecticut has, an, you know, a, a emergency preparedness. When I was in Kentucky, they had the department, Kentucky Department of Homeland Security. They have different names, but they all had this, pretty much the same purpose. And it's a shared responsibility because it's not necessarily a cybersecurity attack that shuts you down. You know, up in Connecticut could be a hurricane. Uh, you know, in Kentucky, it could be an earthquake. Uh, you know, down here in Tennessee, it could be the Tennessee volunteers beating Alabama because, <laughs> right? Um, you know, this, but it's, it's, it's an organizational driven. So the mandate should come from the CEO or president or whoever's in charge, the board, and then the responsible leaders for each area. So 
as a CISO, you know, I don't control the IT infrastructure. So if it's a infrastructure issue that goes down, you know, that's not a cybersecurity event, but definitely there to help and definitely there to coordinate and collaborate and add expertise prepping for how we get ready. So, you know, tabletop exercises to me and, and real shut it down for real exercises as you mature are important and uh, in being involved in that. And, but to the point, if you think about like the emergency rooms in hospitals, the provider that runs the emergency rooms and the folks that run the triage area, they know that area better than anyone. We know the technology we've deployed for them, but they know the processes, they know the flows, they know what needs, they need the forms. So a lot of that goes back to that business area and going, hey, if we got shut down tomorrow for whatever reason, how do you respond? Um, you know, CISOs, because of our acumen to business continuity and disaster recovery, often are looked at to help guide those conversations, but it really should be driven at an organizational level. That's an organizational problem, not just a cybersecurity problem. Uh, if, if you have a hospital and you shut down and you can't take patients in, then you're not billing. You know, you're not you're not doing the business that makes our organization revenue. Uh, that's that's way beyond just cybersecurity. That's that's an organizational. So it has to, it, it takes that community to go through and say, hey, it's mandated. Hey, here's how we help. Here's our part. Here's what your part is. How do you responsibility? And that's where CISO can help with a lot of that and, and guide those conversations. Right. Well, for if if it is a cyber incident where systems have to come down, is it important for CISOs to workshop those and to get those uh, tabletops done and whatnot where we're actually mimicking a cyber incident where systems have to come down. And then I would imagine you um, may not be making the decisions about what needs to come down, but certainly strong recommendations to perhaps the CIO or the board or whatnot. And you're saying we need to take things offline. You know, users need to be informed. Like, does that get workshopped where you have more of a position of leadership because it's cyber? Yeah, I think, yeah, absolutely. I think it, that's a paramount that you do these workshops. Uh, I think those discussions, even if they're desk side discussions and a little less than the tabletop discussions, they have to start somewhere and you should be doing them. Um, and you have, you know, that's why we talk about playbooks as well. If you have ransomware, it, it's also communicated. So it, it, the ideal situation is we've had these conversations, all the appropriate leaders and, and that, for, like I talk about the ARC at UConn, you know, those leaders, we've already had those conversations with them. So if a, we get a call in the middle of the night of ransomware and we start our phone call tree, right? Everyone knows, hey, we also know that that means these systems are coming offline. So they know to start their initiatives and actions. Yeah, absolutely. Excellent. All right, Dennis, that's about all we had time for today. Just like to give you an opportunity for a final thought, piece of advice. Um, I'll phrase it up this way or frame it up this way. Someone in a comparable sized organization, um, what's your best nugget from your experience about how they can be successful in their CISO role? Yeah, just uh, remember you don't do it alone. It's not in a vacuum or a silo, right? It, it takes a community. Um, you are going to not be very effective and you're going to be very frustrated if you're trying to go it alone. Uh, build those relationships, understand the business, you know, work with your, I call it the IT side partner, your infrastructure partners, your, your CIO, your CEO, you know, regardless of what the reporting structure is, if you report it to them or their peers, 
they're still your partners and you have to work together. So. Excellent, Dennis. Th thanks so much for your time today. I think uh, people are going to really enjoy this. Thank you. Oh, thank you. Glad to be here.